Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We continue in our series on the book on James, which we have called Walk This Way, as our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott, leads us by teaching from James chapter 5. Don't forget that you can catch up with Christ Church on all of the usual social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as get all the information you need on our ministries and events we have coming up on our website, which is ccgf.org. Now, here is Pastor Jared with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Good morning, Christ Church. I want to thank Doug for reading that passage. That's not the most uplifting passage that I've ever read. I think some of you go, wow, that was a very, uh, very discouraging, talking about uh, things, moths eating and, you know, hoarding things and people dying. And it's not the most encouraging, is it? It's wonderful. We have communion today. The kids are with us, so I'm grateful for that. But this passage is not an easy one, but it's a good one because it applies to us in everyday life. And that's what James is all about talking about how we deal with our finances. Let me pray for this. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for this passage, as tough as it is. Lord, we go through this life, and one of the things that we've got to deal with is how we handle our finances. Lord, you've given it to us, and for that, we're grateful. But Lord, help us to be able to deal with that as we go through this life. Lord, we thank you for the, the roadmap, the, the resource guide that you give us, the study guide of how to deal with our finances, the right way and the wrong way. Lord, be with us as we apply this to our life. It grips many of us. Many of us are obsessed with it. The world is obsessed with it. So, Lord, help us to be able to deal with it in a way that will glorify you. And we thank you for today. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, and that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. And then as James already said, that we aren't just hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in your name. Amen. A few years ago, I was... Uh, looking at one of my doctoral programs, and I was asked to take the GRE. I don't know if anybody's ever taken the GRE. It's the Graduate Record Exam. And uh, this test is, uh, I don't know, it's like a test about life, I guess, like how much you know or don't know. And in fact, uh, this test takes five hours, okay? It's a five-hour test. And I I didn't really want to take it, but I I needed to to get into this program. And so I had to um, go down to the University of Pittsburgh, make my appointment, and... uh, It's a big deal. You go into this room, you go uh, through security screening, and then you go into another room uh, where there's people there that have, you go through a metal detector and they have wands to make sure you're not cheating or holding things on you. So I was padded down, I was security screened, I had to empty my pockets, my watch, my phone, wallet, everything, put it in a locker, and I had to sign a waiver, and then they took the wand all over me like I had a five-hour test. I mean, how could you cheat on a five-hour test? It's like a thousand questions. So I didn't have a dictionary with me, but I figured, okay... So I, then you go into another room, and it's all glass enclosure. And you take this test on a computer, and they're all staring at you to make sure you don't cheat. And uh, this test was hard because it was verbal. Uh, half of it was verbal, half of it was math. And stuff that I learned in, like, fifth grade. And so I was like, how in the world could I ever remember, like, the triangles and uh, all the stuff about, like, the sides and basic algebra? I thought, this is so hard. And in fact, I... <laughs> I remember taking this test. I was like, I, you know, I don't even know what some of these, some of the questions. I didn't even know what the question was, so I just, I just closed my eyes and, and clicked something just to see what happened. 
What was great is, is that I actually had, um, I actually had a uh, study guide, so I knew what it was going to be about. I knew how this test was going to go. What, when it came to uh, the questions they were going to ask, whether it was multiplication or, or a vocabulary or sentence complete, uh, sentence structure, all those things. Uh, I even remember halfway through, before you get to the math part after the verbal, they give you a five-minute break if you want it. I was like, five minutes, thanks. Five hours, I really need five minutes. So um, I took the test, and God be praised, I actually passed. I got what I needed to get the, uh, for my verbal, and I barely got through the math, but I got what I needed to get in the math and get into this program, which was wonderful. Why I bring that up is because when I look at James 5 this week, I thought about this this week because every every passage so far in this series of James, we only have two more weeks on this before we turn our attention to a whole new series, is about a test, isn't it? It's been a test every single week. How we deal with something. How are you going to deal with something? When we first started out, it was how are we going to deal with temptation? What was a test? How are we going to deal with perseverance and trials? It was a test. How we deal with our tongue and taming the tongue? That's a test. Last week, John Guest was talking about pride and humility. It's a test. It's always a test. And I felt like this week when I looked at that, I go, here comes another test. Here comes another test to see, okay, are we really following the Lord if we want to walk this way? That's the idea. We know who the Lord is. We want to walk a certain way in life. Here's a test. And some people come in and go, oh, it's about money. It's about money. In fact, after hearing a sermon on money, possessions, and integrity, a man wrote to the IRS, I can't sleep knowing that I've cheated on my income tax. Enclosed is a check for $150. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. (laughs) People feel guilty about money. It's money. How we deal with money. And I want you to know right off the bat, you may come in thinking this is about money. I want you to walk out of here thinking it was, it, understanding it's about something totally different. You may think this is about giving to the church. It's not. It's how we handle our finances. When we do premarital counseling with couples, myself, Pastor Barry, Pastor Jamie, Pastor Doug, all, when we go through these things with couples, we, we take 10 different areas of marriage, and most of you that are married would know that the hot topic in marriage is how we deal with money, Right? And so we, we actually have a little test that we, we give the couples to find out what money means to you. I wish we could give that all to you. It's a real quick 10-question test, and it says a lot about what money means to you. For some people, money means security. The more I have, the better I feel, the secure I am. For some, money means pleasure and joy. Like, hey, listen, if I have money, I want to go spend it on things. I get to buy, have, have nice cars or nice houses or I get to go on vacation. That's what money means to them. Money sometimes means power, like I have all this power, and since I have money, I can manipulate things in life. What does money mean to you? Now, it doesn't matter if you have a lot of money or a little money. That has nothing to do with this. It's how we deal with our finances, the attitude we have when it comes to finances. And James outlines for us how to deal with our finances, but he, the test we have, but he deals with it in, in how we handle it the wrong way. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you, we're in James chapter 5, verse 2. First off, for some of us, money means hoarding it. Hoarding it. We hoard money. Verse 2, your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you. Eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. That is horrible sounding. It's, it's horrible. People, but people are obsessed with hoarding money. They don't want to spend it. They just want to hoard it. Some of us are dealing with that. It's not about having it. It's just about the idea of, of, of acquiring it and having it in our bank account. In fact, uh, there was a story I read, true story of a woman who was a multimillionaire who was hoarding money. And she was unbelievably cheap. 
throughout her life. In fact, I didn't share this with the other, um, other two services, but she went through life and she was known to, she would only wash the hem of her dress. That way she would save money on soap. But she was a multimillionaire. But she was hoarding money. And her son had broken her, his leg. And to save money, she didn't take him to the doctor. She took him to some uh, person that she knew that could thought she could work on him. And the, the boy ended up getting gangrene in his leg and they had to amputate it because she was obsessed with money. I read another story of a person who died. Uh, this happened a few weeks ago. I read a story of somebody who died uh, and they had $11 million in their bank account. And they, no lie, they gave it all to their dog. They, uh, they gave it all to their dog, and then what they did is they took a side of that, and they had somebody, it was like $100,000 a year to somebody just to take care of the dog. It's hoarding it. And you say, well, I'm not like that. I'm not going to give it to my pet. Uh, but some of us are obsessed with just having it. That's what James is talking about here. They've hoarded wealth in the last days. Some people are obsessed with just gaining it. Obsessed with gaining. Look at verse 4. It says, The wages you fail to pay the workers, you mowed your fields, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord our money. Some people are obsessed. They do not care about who it hurts, the money they have. And we see this all the time. People are, people are obsessed with money, so they don't care if it hurts their family, their spouse, their children. They just want to go get it. They just want to go get it. They don't care about the friendships they hurt. You've heard, you've heard of the term, it's not, it's not uh, personal, it's just what? Business, right? You don't care. I, I want to get it no matter, no matter what. And some people are obsessed with that. They just don't care when it comes to their finances, when it comes to money. I heard a story of a guy named Robert. Robert had never been married, and he still lived at home with his elderly father. His mother had passed away several years before. Now that his father was sick and near death, he was the sole heir of, an, of a huge fortune. And his father said to him on his deathbed, Robert, you're going to be lonely living in this big house by yourself. You need to go find yourself a wife to keep you company. So Robert went to, this, to a singles bar, spotted the first woman he saw with beauty and that took his breath away. And he boldly walked up to her and said, right now I'm just an ordinary man. But in a month or two from now, my father will pass away and I'll inherit over $20 million dollars. And he said, would you like to come meet my father? So the woman gladly went home, met Robert's father, married him, and became his stepmother. (laughs) Obsessed with money. Didn't care. I don't care who it hurts. I'm just going to get it. We know people in life. And while that's an extreme story, while this is an extreme passage, some of us don't care who it's hurting. And we can't wait to get to work. We can't wait to earn that paycheck because it's obsessive. And then some people, as I already mentioned, are self-indulgently like to spend it. That's what James talks about here, too. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the days of slaughter. Some people are just obsessed with how much they have. Look what I have. Look at my house. Look at my car. All this stuff. And yes, the Lord gives it to us. That's wonderful that he does. But some of us are just obsessed with wanting to spend that money. How could I spend my next dime? How could I spend the next amount of money that I have in life? How can I spend it? It's self-indulgently spending. And that's what James talks about. That's why when we talk with couples when they're getting married, some people want to spend it. Some people want to save it. I know my wife and I have different versions of how we deal with money. Some of us, one of us wants to deal with one way. One of us wants to deal with the other way. And it, it makes us have to communicate with one another. For you, your spouse, you're looking at each other and go, yep, they're the spender or they're the saver, right? We know how that works. It's not a bad thing. It's just when it becomes an obsession. And that's what James talks about. 
the warnings to the rich. And then some people want to ruthlessly acquire it. Verse 6, you've condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. You know, it's a tough passage when you look at this. You go, man, James has some harsh language for people, huh? Harsh language when it comes to money. You go, well, there's a lot of ways we could see it. There's a lot of ways to not spend money, a lot of ways to use our finances that lead to all kinds of obsessions, lead to all kinds of other things, addictions, everything else. And we can see the problems. So you may say, well, if that's the wrong way, Jared, what's the right way? There's got to be a right way. If there's a wrong way for us to utilize our finances, if we're tested every single day, and you're tested every single day. You're going to go tomorrow. Many of you are going to go to work tomorrow. You're going to be tested every single day with your finances. How are we going to handle our finances? What am I going to do with my finances? What's my attitude toward finances? The question is, is what should your attitude be? What should your attitude be? The best verse on finances that I can see from the scriptures is Matthew 6, 19. It says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin uh, destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That passage is contrary, exactly contrary to what James talks about, about how money does uh, um, lead, uh, corrodes and rots and moths eat your clothes. And so this passage is saying, listen, don't do that because moths and vermin are going to destroy it. You can't take it with you. So store up treasures in heaven. Store up treasures in heaven. You say, well, what does that mean? I've heard that before. What does it mean, store up treasures in heaven? There was a um, a famous pastor, George Truitt, who was a well-known pastor, and he went to, um, he went to a, a house in Texas. He was invited to come over to this guy's house who was infinitely wealthy. And he made his wealth in the oil fields. And uh, George Truitt tells a story that he went there, and after dinner, the gentleman took him out onto his balcony. And he was boasting about everything that he owned. And he pointed out to the oil fields and he said, 25 years ago, I had nothing. Now look, all this is mine. He pointed over to his right and there's corn fields and wheat fields. He said, all that's mine. As far as the eye can see, it's mine. Pointed to the left and he said, all those cattle over there, they're all mine. Then he pointed to the, the hill straight ahead. He said, see that mountain, all those woods, it's all mine. So the pastor did not know what to do. George Truett did not know what to do. So he complimented him. And the only thing he did is he tapped him on the shoulder and he pointed up to heaven. He said, how much do you have in that direction? And that, the man said, I never thought about it that way. I, I have no idea. Nothing. You see, a lot of us acquire things here. And I'm telling you right now, if, if you, you hear me when I say this, money itself is not a bad thing. Having money, it's not a bad thing. There's nothing in Scripture that says having money is a bad thing. How you, your attitude towards it is something different. Your attitude is something different. You know, it's amazing as you, as I talk through, making sure that you understand the context of which we're talking about. You have to read James from James 1 through James 5 because everything builds upon one another. How you deal with temptation is directly related to how you're going to deal with finances. How you're going to deal with uh, issues of um, trials deals with how you deal with finances. Last week, what did we talk about? We talked about pride. If you don't understand pride, you'll never understand finances. Let me tell you that again. Say that again. John Guest was here talking about pride and about humility. If you don't understand pride and humility, you will never pass the test of finances in your life. And you'll be miserable and unhappy. You've got to start with one so you can handle the other. And what's great is, is that Jesus actually gives this test to somebody else. Uh, gives it to two people. One of them fails miserably and one of them passes it. The first person he talks to is the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. 
Matthew 19, verse 16. It says this, it says, just then a man came up to Jesus and, and asked, teacher, what good, must, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So, so here's this guy, he's, he's, he's an incredibly wealthy guy, we find that out later, and he comes up to Jesus, he says, listen, Jesus, what, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He didn't understand that his whole life had fallen short of God's holiness, that the, that the simplest thing, the simplest sin has kept him from him. All he wanted to know was, hey, Lord, I've got a lot of money, and I can do a lot of things with it. I, can, I, I own a lot. The only thing I don't have is I don't have eternal life. How do I get it? How do I get it? He thought his destiny was in his own hands. He thought, well, I've got money. I've probably got power. I've probably got security. I probably can find some, some joy in some things. But the only thing I don't have is eternal life. And I know it's coming. I know I'm going to die at some point. I can't take this with me. So what can I do now to have eternal life? And I love what Jesus' response to him in verse 17. He says this. He said, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. I love that question. Like, which, okay, which, which commands? Jesus replied, shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus takes the second half of the commandments and says, hey, listen, if you want, you want to be perfect, you want to follow these commandments. He doesn't take the first four, which deals with our relationship with God. He takes the latter six that deals with our relationship with other people. The ones that are actually possible to do. Because you could say, well, I actually have not committed murder. I've never committed adultery. I've not stolen anything. I've given false testimony. And I've always honored my father and mother. Those are ones that are actually possible to do. The first first four are really hard. I'm not going to have any other God before me. I shall not make myself any graven image. I won't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I'm going to honor the Sabbath. Those ones are harder because they're relationship to God. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you want to be good? You want to have a Go do those things. The thing is, is that nobody's ever kept the Ten Commandments. Nobody. You're laughing, looking at each other right now and going, uh, you're, uh, Jared, I haven't, I haven't done any of those things. Maybe not murder, but definitely some of the other ones I've, I've, I've done. Not even to mention the first four. See, Jesus, this guy is just looking for some formula. What, what can I do with the money that I've given? And Jesus is saying, listen, you want to be perfect, go keep those commandments, then you can have eternal life. And so here's the response to Jesus. This is what the guy says. In verse 20, he says, all these I've kept. The young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, listen to this. He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and then you'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Now listen, understand that word perfect there is the Greek word that we get the word mature or complete. It's the same thing we're talking about here in Walk This Way. If you want to be mature, you want to be complete, then you've got to understand it has nothing to do with your finances. It has everything to do with your heart. He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell possessions, give it to the poor. You'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Understand this. The willingness, the man's willingness to obey those commands would not merit salvation. I want you to understand that. They would not merit salvation, but what they would do is give evidence to it. I believe in the Lord, I believe in what he's done for me, that he died for me, that I'm a sinner, that I've not kept all the commandments, therefore I need a savior, therefore because I have a savior, I'm not going to put my faith and trust in my finances, and I'm going to give it away. That's the idea. It's a heart attitude. Had nothing to do with his finances, had everything to do with his heart. You'll have treasures in heaven. The ultimate test, what the Lord is saying to this man is he said, listen, who's going to be the Lord in your life, your money or me? And Jesus is saying that to us this morning. Who's going to be the Lord in your life? Your money or me? 
You see, we go through life, don't we? We go through life obsessing about this money thing. We're all, it's always going to be there. We're going to deal with it till the day we die. I deal with it. Other people deal with it. We just deal with it. We deal with not having enough. We deal with what we're going to do with it when we have enough. We deal with uh, obsessing over it. We, we deal with the security of it. We deal with, uh, do we spend it for our pleasure? Do we deal with, we deal with it and acquiring it no matter what the cost is? We're dealing with it. We're all dealing with it. It does not matter if you are dirt poor or you have millions. It doesn't matter. The idea is the heart. We're all dealing with it in a certain way. And the question that we're going through as we learn to walk this way, go, what's the heart attitude with this? What Jesus is saying, listen, I want, you, I want to be the Lord of your life. I want to be your security. I want to be your joy. I don't want him to be in your money. I want him to be me. I want to have a relationship with you. Because in Mark 10, we look at the same passage that Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler. And it's not going to be on the screen, but Mark 10, 21, Jesus looks at, it says, Jesus looks at the man and loves him. He's looking at you this morning. He loves you. And what he's saying is, hey, listen, I love you. I want to be the Lord of your life. I love you so much that I died for you. I took the penalty that you deserved so that I can have a relationship with you, so that you can put your trust in me. That's why in, the, in a few minutes we're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to remember what the Lord did for us. So back to Matthew 19, when, when the young man heard this, he went away sad. Because he had great wealth. And Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. The eye of the needle is one of the um, passages in scripture that's always debated about with theologians. Some people say, what's the eye of the needle? Some Some people would say that the eye of the needle was a door in Israel or in Jerusalem, it was a huge door. They would close it at night, and then there was a smaller door that you could go in one person at a time. They, they called it the eye of the needle. And what it was, it was a protection. They would close the big doors, and they would have a small door at night for someone to come in. And the idea, people, some theologians would say, hey, the eye of the needle was this, that when a camel would come, it would have to take off all its packs, and it would have to get down on his knees and go under this door and come back up. Now, some people would say, that door doesn't exist. We've never found that door. It doesn't exist. That's false. That's, a, that's, that doesn't, that's not a real door. Whether or not you believe that there's a door or not, the idea is the same. The idea is, is that you first got to get humble. The idea of a camel has got to get down before it's got to come back up to go through this door. It's the same thing with you. you got to be humble before you can come back up. That's why I just said when, when James 4 talks about pride, you got to deal with pride. you got to deal with humility before you can deal with your finances. Because you got to get to the point of saying, hey, Lord, you know what? I'm going to be humble before you. I'm going to rely on you for my finances, for my joy, for my security. And then the Lord brings you back up. That's the idea of the eye. If you're not going to deal with pride and humbleness, then you'll never deal with your finances. You'll never be able to deal with it. And that's why he's saying, listen, for for wealthy people, it's harder. If you have money, and we all have money, it's hard because we rely on ourselves to do it. So no matter how you look at it, the idea is the same. It's about humbleness. Say, Lord, it's all about you. Whether I have a little or whether I have a lot, I, I want you to be my joy. I want you to be my security. Jesus talks to this young man and he walks away sad. It's not that he couldn't do it, it's that he wouldn't do it. So he failed the test, I should say. But then Jesus runs into somebody else who passed the test. 
In Luke 19, it was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus said, stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Understand this, hear this. Zacchaeus was not saved because of his newfound generosity. His newfound generosity was evidence that he was saved. Zacchaeus newfound generosity was evidence that he was saying, he said, it has nothing to do with my finances, it has everything to do with you, Lord. It was a rejection of himself. He wasn't putting himself up. Zacchaeus was also a wealthy man. What he realized is that my security is not there. My security is not in, in my money. My joy is not in my money. My, my joy and security is in the Lord. Zacchaeus passed the test. My question for you this morning as we close, is how are you doing with money? How are you dealing with your money? Some of us are struggling with money or obsessed with it. We'll work tirelessly to get it. And our families are suffering. Our spouses are suffering. Our children are suffering. Our friends are suffering because we just don't care. Some of us are, can't wait to go out and spend the next dollar. And we're covered in debt beyond belief. More debt than it's imaginable. And I've talked to some of you. Because you're looking for that next thing that you can buy to bring you joy. Some of us have huge bank accounts and we're trying to pay pinch because that's our security. Because we find, hey, if we have enough money in our account, then, then we'll be okay. And what the Lord's saying right here, he's saying, listen, I want, I want to be the Lord of your life. Not, not, not so you give that money back. It's because I want you to trust me, not trust the money. That's how you deal with finances. That's how you deal with finances. Who's going to be the Lord of your life? Your money. Him. Some of you may be at the point where you say, you know, I've never asked the Lord to come into my life. I have no idea what that means to be able to store up treasures in heaven. I've been trying to earn this on my own. I'm telling you right now, he's looking at you and he loves you this morning. And he says, listen, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to free your grip of, of this obsession with money. That's all I want. You to have a relationship with me. There's one theologian who wrote, Jesus' promise to us is comprehensive. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We usually get what we're hungry and thirsty for. The problem is, the treasures on earth don't satisfy. The earthly treasures promise it, but the treasures of heaven actually do it. They satisfy. Blessed are those then that hold their earthly possessions in open palms. Blessed are those that if everything that they have was taken from them, at most they'd be inconvenienced because their true wealth is elsewhere. Blessed are those who are totally dependent and humbled by Jesus for their joy in this life. Often our resistance to the Father is like a child clinging to our toys and never letting go as if they assume that the only thing that will make them happy. God, for our good, tries to loosen our grip from something that causes us to fall, but we don't want to let it go, do we? We say things like, I don't want to give up this lifestyle for eternal joy. I don't want to trade in this life for, for things that I've worked for. I don't want to die. I don't want a new body. I want this one. I don't care if it's fading and decaying. I want this body. I want more things, more toys, more possessions. Because having these things will make me happy, the author writes. And there we lie, submerged, submerged in the pits, desperately clutching to the thing that causes us the most grief in life. It's a wonder the Father doesn't give up on us. But he doesn't, does he? He pursues us. He desires to supply our needs. He desires to be our joy, to be our peace, to be what we desire. And he desires to have that relationship with us because he loves us. And that's why he sent his son to die in our place. That is love. 
And he's what we should pursue. Um, I hope in prayer as you walk out of here, first and foremost, that you have a relationship with Jesus. If you don't, it's time to do it right here. Right now, right here, saying, you know what, I haven't kept those commandments. I haven't lived a certain way. I've been trying to deal with this on my own. I'm done. Lord, I want to give you my heart. My hope for the rest of us who know and love the Lord as they walk out of here, those things that grip us the most when it comes to our finances, that we lay at his feet and say, you know what? The thing that's causing me the most grief in life when it comes to my finances, I just want to let go. And I want to come humbly before the Lord and say, okay, Lord, use me however you want to use me. Use my finances however you want to use me. But I want to follow you. I want to walk this way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that you teach us so much about money, Lord. So many passages in the scripture deal with possessions and money. Lord, we know over 2,000 verses talk about money in in your word, Lord, so it's obviously a big deal. But Lord, we thank you for the fact that as we go through a test of life, as we go through a tough test on money every single day, that you give us a guidebook, that you give us a resource so that we can be prepared when we go in to pass the test. So thank you for those that have passed the test, Lord. I pray you be with us as we leave this place, that we let go of that grip, Lord, the things that are obsessing us to have for security, for enjoyment, for power. Let it go. And Lord, I pray that you be with each and every person here, Lord, especially those that don't know you, who have heard for the first time that you love them, that you care for them, that you want to have a relationship with them. Lord, I pray that you look at them right here in the heart for them and convict them, Lord, to come to you. And if that's you, it's as simple as praying the prayer, saying, dear Lord Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I've fallen short. Wipe me clean. Thank you for dying in my place so that I can have a relationship with you. I believe in you. You rose again. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing and be with us now as we prepare our hearts to remember and reflect on what you've done on the cross. We thank you. Be with us in the moments ahead and I ask all this in your name.